1: 630 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 630 Chad. The game is over when the final buzzer sounds. The analysis ends when you say it does. This is overtime open line interviews, analysis, and your opinion. Oilers hockey is brought to you by world of spas. And now the heartland Ford overtime open line. Here's Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30 chair.
3: In from the left-hand side, Eichel, around Kleppbaum, to the net, and he drew a penalty. Back to Colin Miller, delayed
4: penalty, slap shot, Miller saved, rebound, stacking the pads, an unbelievable
1: stop by Mike Smith on Sam Reinhart to save
4: the game. Um. Shot. In over the line to win it for the Buffalo Sabres. Loads up, shoots and scores! side, Jack Eichel!
3: For the second time this season, the Buffalo Sabres beat the Edmonton Oilers 3-2 in overtime. That was the final sequence. Eichel, uh, Eichel pulling away from Kleffbaum from behind his own net in overtime. Fouled from behind. Sabres kept the play alive. Smith came up with a big save, a Bill Ranford-esque save on Sam Reinhart. That's a save of the game for Jiffy Loop. Be wise, winterize, whistle goes, Eichel gets the penalty shot, walks in and scores, and that ends it. 3-2. Buffalo is the final, the Oilers' record now, 21-17-5 and on the season. They settle for a single point tonight. Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown at 7:52. Happy New Year. Thanks a lot for joining us. Well, Rob, a lot to talk about in this game, even though there were periods where maybe there there wasn't a lot of action. Let's start at the beginning. The the big positive for the Oilers was the first period. They got a 2-1 lead. They outshot Buffalo 14-5 in the first. How did they do it?
5: Well, they simplified their game. Uh, just like we saw against the, Ra- against the Rangers in the first 40 minutes, the Oilers got pucks on net. They had players going there looking for tips. They had players going there looking for rebounds. It was successful against the Rangers, and it was again tonight in the first period. Both goals were shots from the point that were deflected, and the second Boiler player that was in front of the net found the rebound and put it in the open net. So the Oilers came out very strong early and probably weren't rewarded enough for the way they played. They were much better than a, a one-goal lead after the first period. The, you know, the turning point of this game may have been the Buffalo Sabre goal to make it 2-1, because the Oilers were in control. And they never had a... The Buffalo Sabres didn't have a great a scoring chance. I don't think they had one in the whole period. I don't, they, I'm not sure the, the goal they scored on was a great a scoring chance. But they scored quickly after falling behind 2-0 and gave them some belief. So, going in between 20, after the first 20 minutes, the Oilers probably disappointed they weren't up more. And the Buffalo Sabres, ecstatic, they were only down one. But it was a very good first 20 minutes on the road for the Oilers.
3: Okay, over the last 40 minutes, Rob, I, I got to be honest with you, I, I didn't, I, I keep notes throughout the game. All the Oilers highlights that I wrote down over the final 40 minutes were saves by Smith. You'll have to correct me if, I, if I'm if i not remembering. I don't remember a grade-A scoring opportunity for the Oilers, at least not the one resulted in a shot on net. Yamamoto made a centering pass for Nugent Hopkins that just missed. That might have been the closest they came to scoring in the final 40 minutes, a, a centering pass that didn't quite connect.
5: Uh, I agree. I think they had, the Oilers had some good offensive zone time, especially with the, the dry saddle line, but didn't create a whole lot. And if you look at the middle 20 minutes, the Buffalo Sabres had four odd man rushes. I think they had three two-on-ones and a breakaway in the middle period. And that's where you saw that the Oilers were starting to, you know, crack a little bit defensively, turn the puck over in the neutral zone, not simplifying their game. And the Buffalo Sabres, despite not scoring in the second period, went into the third with a little bit of belief, and the Oilers were kind of hanging on. They weren't creating anything. They were just kind of in defensive posturing, hoping not to give up the next goal.
3: Yeah, well, the final shots tonight, 27-26 for the Oilers, but Edmonton with 14 in the first period. Mike Smith today, he has had a rough, rough go. In December, he had five appearances, went 0-2-1, had a save percentage of eight twenty eight in the month of December. He stops 23 out of 26 tonight beaten on the penalty shot to win it. I, I thought his best work was in the second period. Mm-hmm. You know, Smith has been been under fire. Everybody knows he hasn't been performing to expectations, certainly not an, anywhere near as good as he was in October and the first game of November, but I would describe this as a good start from Smith.
5: Yeah, very good start. Yeah, he gave them a chance. Uh, he was the final 40 minutes. He was their best player by far. And just before he gave up the overtime winner on the penalty shot Dykel. He made the save of the game. I I know that the, the, the penalty that Clefbaum took, which I believe was a penalty shot, but the Buffalo Sabres had a breakaway that they had to take a penalty on, and right after that, Reinhardt was by himself. Like, there was nobody close to him, and he, he goes to the net, and Smith makes his best stop of the night. Unfortunately, it was all for naught because a penalty shot was on its way. The The Oilers overtime three on three they've they've got to make adjustments because teams have adjusted to the Edmonton Oilers. The first adjustment we've seen, we've seen Anaheim do it, and you and I talked about it when we saw Curtis Lazar start overtime. We're like, okay, that's a little odd that Curtis Lazar is gonna start. Then I'm like, well, you know what? I bet you he just takes the faceoff and leaves. Curtis Lazar was 75% or 78% in off today. Smart play by Ralph Krueger, because you and I have talked about it enough, whichever team starts the play play in overtime with the puck normally has the success. They get the faceoff win, the Oilers never touched the puck, but the problem with the Oilers had is teams are slowing it down. They slowed it all the way down, Eichel went behind his own net, and Klefbom is playing a man-on-man. Clefbaum's not the guy you want in front of the other team's net. Klefbom was in the crease. Eichel read that, and then it was just a sprint. Klefbom's not going to beat Eichel in a race, and that's where all the problems started for the Edmonton Oilers. So teams are starting to figure out ways, if they can start with the puck then defensively they can make the others make mistakes.
3: That's our adjustment of the game for the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors. If it hurts, see a chiropractor. Visit albertachiro.com. The three stars tonight, Eichel Lazar and Yamamoto. We're going to make Mike Smith the fourth star of the game for White Eagle Homes, built from the homeowner's perspective with thousands of personalization options. Visit whiteeaglehomes.ca. The uh, criteria for a penalty shot, there are four of them from section 57.3 of the NHL rulebook. uh, The infraction must have taken place in the neutral or attacking zone. Check. The infraction must have been committed from behind. Check. The player in possession must have been denied a reasonable chance to score, and it elaborates that the fact that a player got a shot off does not automatically eliminate the play from penalty shot contention. uh, Judgment called by the referee if he was denied a better chance to score because of the foul. He didn't get a shot on that, so check. And uh, he, he has to have nobody between him and the goaltender. Check. So all four were covered. I, I, I think it absolutely was a penalty shot. Yep. As soon as I saw it live, it, it looked like a penalty shot call to me.
5: Yeah, you said you said it live penalty shot, and I agreed with you then. And uh, it, we've seen it. Uh, uh, the, the penalty shot call doesn't. Ha- it doesn't have to be a flay. It doesn't have to be diving and knocking the guy out or knocking him off his feet or the hook around the waist that pulls him back two feet. If you put your stick in around the hands and somehow. Stop the player from shooting or getting the puck on net, that is a penalty. And if all the other four criteria are met that we just talked about, then it becomes a penalty shot. To me, it was a no-brainer. It was a penalty shot. And Jack Eichel, who is, I believe, third in the National Hockey League in goals, He's good on breakaways, and they picked the wrong guy to take a penalty shot for the Edmonton Oilers.
3: 3-2, the Sabres take it in overtime, so their record goes to 18-17-7. The Oilers 21-17-5, yeah, in a minute, nine seconds of uh, overtime. Right? Mike Smith was the uh, only Oiler to, to really to really touch the puck as they lost the opening faceoff and uh, and couldn't get it back. So the Oilers now 4-5 and five in games tied after 60 minutes, a little bit of a... Stats you wouldn't expect.
5: Shocking. Honestly shocking. I used to be able to bet the house on it that the Oilers would win in overtime. But if you don't win the opening faceoff and don't get the puck, it's kind of hard to score. And going into that faceoff, Leon Dreissel had a great night in the the faceoff dot. He was 72% at the time of taking that faceoff. So he's who the Oilers would have wanted to take as well. Lazar made a good play, second star of the game. Curtis Lazar had a good game for the Buffalo Sabres. They needed players to step up. They started only with 11 forwards, went down to 10 with an injury, and the undermanned Buffalo Sabres got two points.
3: So the Oilers now 5-10-2 and two in their last 17 games. They still have not won back-to-back games since November 23rd and 24th. Obviously, they had a chance to do it tonight, coming off the win over New on New Year's Eve against the New York Rangers. They uh, are still pretty good when leading after two periods, 14-1 and 2, but one of the uh, the losses added to the overtime loss column because of the result tonight. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can call or text. We'll have post game reaction as we roll along tonight as well. We have Mike on line one. Mike, thanks a lot for calling.
6: Hey, Reed. Hey, Rob. Hello. Hi. I just got a couple of comments there. I I was worried on the first shift of the game. Mike Smith came out to uh, play the puck, made a pass that was picked off by the Sabres, and here I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go again. But uh, I thought he really gave us a puncher's chance tonight, and I don't fault him for us only getting a point. But uh, I was kind of at the game against the Rangers, um, and I thought Nurse and Russell were okay that night, but tonight he really had a hard time.
3: Well, they got crossed up on on the tying goal for sure, thanks, Mike, and we're not really sure who was supposed to be there, but somebody should be there. It's the front <laughs> of your own net
5: yeah, I, again we we don't normally at the home games we're up top, and we can see which guy and read the play. It's tougher from on a television set, but yeah, uh, it was a smart play by the Buffalo Sabre. They saw Reinhardt standing by himself in front of the net stick on the ice. One of the other defensemen have to be there to take that stick away, neither did. Uh, for the final 40 minutes I, outside of the one Oiler line, I don't know if anyone would be excited about the way the last 40 went for the Oilers. They were the second best team for most of the, the last two periods.
3: 3 2, the Sabres able to win it this evening. Uh, the officials on the Oilers go Shane from Archibald and Larson, Nugent Hopkins from Yamamoto, and Dry So here's the Interesting thing. Do you roll this line up again against Boston? Do you do you tinker with it? Do you put Dreisaitl and McDavid together? Because I thought Yamamoto, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, I, I thought that was a pretty good line tonight. And probably after the first period they were still the line that you felt was the most threatening.
5: Yeah, they, they were good all all night long. I wouldn't load up. No, and I'm a huge Dreisaitl playing with McDavid player, guy. I, I think that that's the, the best spot for him. But the Oilers' best second line they've been able to roll out in the last couple of years is the one they have right now with Nugent Hopkins, Drysdale, and Yamamoto. Yeah. It, by far, there's not they've had nothing even close. It, the thought process, and I know that Jack and Bob talked about it, of loading up your first line to play against Boston's first line. Boston's first line is still going to be better. That is the best first line in the National Hockey League. Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand. So all of a sudden, if they're going against McDavid, and at the very best, the Oilers get a draw on that, the others are depth are not as strong as the Boston Bruins. So to me, leave the lines as they are. Hope that McDavid's line is stronger and has a better night five on five in Boston and then hope that the dry side of line is able to take advantage of whoever Boston throws out second. Boston's good. I mean, the others are going into that game heavy underdogs. Sure. I absolutely. mean uh, so I, I you're gonna see what a, a, a solid, cup contending team looks like because that's what the Boston Bruins are today that's what they've been for the last six seven years uh, they play the game the right way and, and it's always a great learning experience when you play against them because you see how the game is supposed to be played so the Oilers have to be on their best but I would leave the lines the same
3: by the way Boston lost in overtime tonight 2-1 to Columbus the Bruins have lost five of their last 11 games in either overtime or a shootout they're up to 11 overtime shoot and shootout losses. They're 24-7 and 11. They are
5: uh, a team built for five-on-five five hockey. I guess so, man. They're, that's crazy. I mean, but they are. I mean, You look at their lineup. That's a team that you don't want to go to regular overtime with because they'll wear you down. They're that deep. But three-on-three three is skills competition. That's not where they excel. And the playoffs are... We haven't added three on three to playoffs right now, so yeah. the Boston Bruins are happy. But yeah, you want to get to, uh, you want to try to get to overtime or a shootout against the Bruins. But that's e- easier said than done, too. It's a good hockey team. So, boss, the Edmonton us this was the game you wanted to win to start off the road trip right, because this is going to be the weakest team that you play on this entire five-game road trip. Now the Oilers' road to a good road trip just gets a little bit harder.
3: 3-2, the Sabres take it in overtime. More of your phone calls in a second, but let's go back to Buffalo. Here's Edmonton's head coach Dave Tippett.
7: I like that we played a strong first period, but I knew we were going to have to raise our level after that, and we just didn't. We just continued to, uh, the game just kind of went along, and we didn't We didn't grab it. You know, we gave up two goals where we got out-competed in front of our net, and you get yourself the overtime and anything can happen. So, just a decent start, but our in front of the net I think was not adequate tonight and we turned a lot of pucks over. A lot of their chances were just on us turning the puck over.
6: What was your sense of just how the overtime play developed, I guess, somewhat slowly and then suddenly quickly?
7: Yeah, it's just, you got to stay, Clef gets too tight in there and Eichel takes off and Dry takes himself out of the play, so we end up taking a penalty, that's what happens. You
6: had the Shea line matched up against Eichel a lot it seemed like.
7: Uh, dependent depended, on how things else were going. Yeah, they were, they were, they got an early goal, but then they, uh, they got some chances that I'd like to see them be a little, a uh, little tougher on.
1: Connor's level of frustration seemed to be evident when he spoke to us in very brief snippets after the, uh, you know, after the game and acknowledged his frustrations and did not seem at all
7: happy. What do you make well, it? You you, nobody's happy when you lose. We lost the game. I mean, we got a, we got a point on the road, but. You come in here to win the game, you play a good first period, you expect to win the game. The frustration is not winning the game.
1: He also expressed disappointment, you know, this seemed to be a, a hinted at it, this being a carryover from what happened Tuesday when, you know, blowing the 6, to, six to nothing lead.
7: No, we won that game, so there's no carryover for me at all. We played a good first period, we, we did some good things tonight, but in key areas that we have to clean up, we didn't play well enough.
3: All right, that's Dave Tippett, head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Buffalo wins 3-2 in overtime. Edmonton did have a 2-0 lead early, 2-1 after 1, still 2-1 after 2. Reinhardt tied it early in the third. Eichel wins it on a penalty shot in overtime. A couple of things there from from Tippett. I thought it was interesting how he said, well, the game just kind of went along. Now, the Oilers had the lead, so that's not always not a bad thing if if the game's just kind of going along, but they never really had that chance to extend it. And we said this to each other watching here uh, late in the second period, there were some long stretches without without a whistle where it, it seemed like neither team was really initiating initiating a lot.
5: Well, in the longer this game stayed, one goal game to me benefited the Buffalo Sabres because they had belief. I mean, they really only have the you know like one or two players on that team that can put the puck in the net, and one of them was lost to injury part way through the game, so Olsson never finished the game. So they just wanted to stay within one because they're just one bounce or one break away from tying it up. Where the Oilers, had they extended the lead, this game is over. The Buffalo Sabres are not a team that's going to come back from a couple down. So that's why, as the game was just l- being lulled for the final 40 minutes, the Buffalo Sabres, that's, it worked to their advantage. And then once they got that goal, then they started picking up the pace. They were creating the chances. They were for- forcing the turnovers. Uh, Buffalo uh, honestly played a smart game after they fell behind 2-0. They played a very smart game. They limited the Oilers' chances. Uh, they were very disciplined. Um, they, it, it was... It, I can see the, the frustration with the Oilers. you got a 2-0 lead against a team that is struggling, that is beat up. They finished the game only with 10 forwards. Uh, they had a couple trades during the day. Oh, right before the right game. right before the game. So I mean, everything is in your favor, and the Oilers could never muster anything up after they got that two nothing lead. And it was it was a quiet night for the first line. Uh, their power play they only I think had was it one power play on the night.
3: And yeah, they were zero for one. Buffalo was zero for two. Didn't
5: really create much on their power play. So it was just it was a kind of a black game for the Edmonton Oilers in a game that to me was important just the way they were starting off a road trip.
3: Boy, the New York Rangers, something is always happening with them. Game's not even half over in Calgary. It's 3-3. Rangers just tied it up. There was a sequence in the first period where the teams combined for three goals in under a minute. Yeah, It's not even six minutes into the second period. It's 3-3. So let's see. The Rangers have uh, what, eight goals in their last about 47 minutes. And they've given up 10 in their last four periods. Yeah, good point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we said that about the before the game on New Year's Eve, that it could be a, a high-event game, and that's happening again in Calgary. We'll keep an eye on that one for you for sure. Whenever the Oilers score five or more in a game like they did on New Year's Eve, we turn on the Japanese Village goal light on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. You can print up a free appetizer coupon. Japanese Village, A steak, succulent seafood cooked at your table. Celebrate your senses. 780-496-0063. We have Dan on the line. Dan, Happy New Year. Go ahead. Happy New Year, guys. How are you doing? Good.
2: Um, I I want to talk about uh, a little bit of the, the mental stuff with this team. Um, Yeah, Coach Tippett already uh, kind of brought up a couple of the points I was going to make. I, I just want to go on the three-on-three really quick because you shouldn't be over analyzing it. You know, it's pond hockey, right? But, you know, Clefbaum, he... You know he's taking Eichel one on one, but you're right in front of the net, and you've got to know that Eichel can skate. You know you're, and he almost broke his foot last game, so I, I knew it was over at that point. And and I don't know. What do you guys think is that
5: is that on coaching or is that just on Clef bomb, Like you've got to give the guy a little more space. That that's on Cleftbaum. He's got to realize that too. He, he yeah. We were talking about it here. It's like uh oh. Because well, Eichel can skate. I mean, that's like yeah. of the opposite. Put Connor McDavid behind the net. What defenseman in the league is going to be standing in the blue paint? None. They're going to be at the top of the circle. you Stand, Stand at the blue line. line. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Let you come at me. But I'm not going to get into a foot race. And it ter- Eichel read it. Eichel read it perfectly. And, all, and the thing with three on three, you play man on man. So the two other Buffalo Sabres went wide. So all of a sudden the Oilers spread wide. And now it's a race up the middle where Eichel's got a breakaway. So it was uh, just a mental mistake by Clefbaum getting down too too close to the net, and a great read by Jack Eichel realizing you know what comes a little closer, a little closer. Now I'm gonna go, and I think I can win this race. Yeah.
2: And um, my other uh, my other point there was you know we got up to nothing, and we were absolutely dominating. I think the shots were was it 12 to two or 14 to two or something?
3: Yeah, first period was 14-5. Fourteen five, okay. And then, you know, they score the goal and it just seemed like we, we took
2: our foot off the gas. And I know, you know, Tippett addressed it. So to me that's not coaching. That's I don't know if you guys agree or not, but I think we're just so young that we don't have that, that killer instinct that, you know, just step on the gas and let's finish these guys with don't even let it come down to the third. Once you got to the third You know, it seemed obviously Buffalo was just playing for the point. But then, you know, about 10 minutes into the third, uh, just by watching, I got the sense of we're just playing for a point. You know, we're just flipping pucks out to the neutral zone and just get it out of our end
3: yeah tell you what rob and i will get into that more after we finish the play with you dan because you bring up some good points there and, and the mental side of the game too but let's finish the play with you and then rob and i will get into that dan you already have up to eight days parking at JetSet parking the best price on edmonton airport parking book online jetsetparking.com self-park as low as 5.98 per day with the promo code jet out to try subtle. loads and fires, tip
1: shot, rebound, score. Nugent Hopkins,
3: identical goals for the Edmonton Oilers. This time the tip down low came from Kyler Yamamoto. All right, Dan. Kyler uh, Yamamoto scored last game. Did you watch the New Year's Eve game? I did, yeah. Who was the goaltender Yamamoto scored on? <laughs> it was an empty net. You got it, buddy. Hang on the line, okay? Right on. All right, Dan gets his name into the grand prize draw for one hour at Fast Track Indoor Karting, valued at a thousand bucks. Safe, adrenaline-pumping fun. Fast Track Okay, Dan, Dan brought up some good points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, six nothing lead almost disappeared uh, two days ago, and now today they're up two nothing. The Lazargo was relatively quickly after that, but they but they they don't close it out. Uh, what's between the years? What's, uh, what's related to roster makeup that you're either not closing out or not extending the lead? Because as you referenced, if it gets to 3-4-1, you're, you're in pretty good shape. What's the biggest uh, culprit here for the Oilers in the last couple of third periods?
5: Um, I think it's roster. Uh, I think that when whenever a team falls behind, they have a push. And it's the same as the Oilers. When the Oilers fall behind in games, we've seen a number of times this year, they fall fallen behind, and then they have their push. Uh, I just don't know if the Oilers are equipped yet with their roster to be able to survive pushes. When the other team starts getting a little bit of momentum, the Oilers don't have that, whether it's that pairing or that line that they can put out there that just stops it dead in its tracks and says, all right, no, we're going momentum back the other way. And it just seems like it's like a snowball coming down a mountain, just gets bigger and bigger. And that's what happened tonight in the game. The Oilers had the lead and very quickly Buffalo makes it 2-1. And to me that changed the whole game. Because all of a sudden Buffalo had belief and Edmonton just slowed their game down. In the second period, Buffalo should have had two or three goals. I mean, Smith was at his best in the second period. And the Oilers just, they just couldn't get momentum going in the right direction. And we've seen that nights that Connor isn't, uh, the dominant force he is the team usually loses and tonight connor just was he was okay but the, his line was not productive they yeah. didn't get they didn't get the opportunities and i know that during the game drew and kevin talked about the fact that the line that connor was centering tonight wasn't going to create a lot off the rush they didn't have the Leon dry settle on the wing that Connor and he could play catch with, have the three-on-two chances or the two-on-one. Neil's not as quick. He doesn't make passes as quick as, as Leon does. So that line isn't going to be as strong off the rush, and they really didn't create anything down low because they didn't get the buck down low enough.
3: 3-2, the Oilers lose in overtime to the Buffalo Sabres. Jack Eichel wins it on a uh, penalty shot. You can also text 780-496-0063. Uh, Barney texting in says, complete garbage on the penalty shot call. League screws the Oilers once again. Okay, well, we are getting a few angry ones, so I wanted to uh, read one to uh, to represent that. Uh, another texter says, uh, William Lagason, enough with this guy. Let's get Jones back in there right away.
5: Um... Uh, Lagason I think at times the speed of the game uh, is a little quick for him
3: only played nine and a half minutes he is not playing a lot
5: no and th- that it shows you the coaching staff doesn't have the trust in certain situations for him so yeah his he he's big uh s- seems strong but when it comes to speed uh, he he doesn't have the speed that a Jones has so yeah, I wouldn't shock. That wouldn't surprise me. If there's a, a roster change for next game in Boston, it would be Jones back in for Laguson.
3: Yeah, they were using Jones more. And I wonder, too, when Benning's healthy... Mm-hmm. Now, again, we got to assume everybody else is healthy. Does Manning come back up to be the professional healthy scratch and Laguson and Jones go back down to play? That would be what I would su- suggest. Um, I would rather
5: have Laguson and Jones playing than sitting in the press box. Manning, obviously is not in the future for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, My guess is, and Benning, I would think, would be back on this road trip at some point. Right. And when he is back, he'll be in the lineup, and I'd do exactly what you said. I'd call Manning up, have him in the press box, and have the two young kids playing down in the minors.
3: Two goals for the Oilers in a 3-2 overtime loss to the Buffalo Sabres. That means a $50 donation to 630 Chet Santas Anonymous from Ascended Financial. When the name of the game is life, there's Ascended Financial. Visit CoveredAlberta.ca. Buffalo wins 3-2 in overtime. We will get to Dave on the phone line in a second here, but let's go back to Buffalo. Here's Captain Connor McDavid. Yeah, I don't know. He
2: just uh, He's a good player. He makes a good play. Um, I'm trying to defend it. that's—you know, The ref makes a call.
3: That's the way he goes
7: what
6: um, about you must have liked your start what happened after you got the two goal lead I'm not too sure but, you know it's kind of the same story um, you know, we're up 6-1 we gave up four
1: goals last game and, and uh, you know, we got to find a way to defend a lead better What what is the level of maybe disappointment here on this team right now that's yeah, frustrating I you know, get two points tonight but um, you know, lots more games left
3: alright that's uh, Connor McDavid not much to say after this overtime loss to Buffalo let's touch on another thing Tippett said too that so Clefbaum bomb He's, he's in too, too tight on Eichel, who's behind mm-hmm. his own net. And then he also said Dreisaitl took himself out of the play. And McDavid's on the ice, too. So how, if at all, could have one of those two players covered for Eichel, starting to pull away from cleft
5: It's hard because it's three on three, and that was going the full length of the ice. So it's not like it's in your own zone where you can just come into the box. I mean, it started behind the net, uh, of the Sabres' net, and he went the length of the ice. Now, we don't get the advantage of seeing it from up above, which would have been able to tell us how to do it a little bit better. You could see Leon Dreisettle coming on on a flyby, trying to poke the puck away. The hard thing is when you're coming at a player and he's going full speed like Eichel is, uh, you either hit the puck or he goes by you, there's right. nothing you... So I guess Dreisettle could have skated back into his own zone and stopped in the circles and waited, but at that point you got to find out where his man is. His man might have gotten open and then he slides it across. Uh, the, the mistake was it was simple. It was made with Clefbaum getting too deep, and all of a sudden he's beat. Now everybody is trying to work off of the mistake Clefbaum made. Uh, it's something I'm sure that uh, they will go over with them. The defensive coach will go over with them and say, all right, Jimmy i will say, you know what? You're too deep here. you got to respect the speed of Eichel. And again, he could back all the way up to the blue line.
3: The offensive blue line. Uh,
5: yeah. Uh, yeah, just stand at the blue line and wait for Eichel to come at you and then slowly get your, your spacing as he comes up. Because uh, J- Jack Eichel is a star in this league, and Jack Eichel read that. And, I, and I, we, again, we didn't see the, the overhead camera, but I'm, by the looks of what happened, both Buffalo Sabres players that were on the ice went to the boards, which took McDavid and Drysettle to the boards, which left the entire middle of the ice wide open. Uh, you, it is so key to win that opening faceoff. And Drysaddle and McDavid are incredible with the puck on their stick. But when the puck's not on their stick, three-on-three, mistakes can be made. A mistake was made, and uh, not only did Eichel get a penalty shot, Mike Smith had to make an incredible save to stop. Right. Uh, Yeah, Reinhardt could
3: have ended it right there. Yeah,
5: so they had two glorious chances to to win the game in overtime. The second one, the penalty shot, was what
3: did it. All right, 3-2 Buffalo wins in overtime. We have Dave on line one. Dave, thanks a lot for calling, man. Go ahead. Hi, how are you doing tonight? Quite well. Good, good. First-time
4: caller, so... Um, anyway, a couple of comments. Just one, I was glad to see that Yamamoto was, uh, made a star tonight. I think he deserved it. He worked hard for everything he did. And my second comment is, what did you... I, I don't know, it seems to me like Dreislein is always dragging himself when he comes off the ice. never seems excited to get back to the box and let somebody else get on the ice. Have you guys noticed that at all?
3: Uh, that is Leon's personality. He Is, is that right? Yeah. He is not... Uh... Now I I don't know him as a teammate. I only know as watching him play and dealing with him in the media. He's not a he's not always a bubbly guy. Let's put it that way.
4: Yeah, he always looks tired. By the time he's ready to go off the ice, I don't know if he's just overworked or if it's just his nature. I guess. But anyway, that's my comment. Thank you.
5: Yeah, thanks for the call. I I think I agree. I think it's just that is nature. I think he's just, some guys have got pep, some guys are like, you look at a James Neal, he's always joking, smiling, things like that. Leon's not like that. Leon is always serious. Um, And sometimes he comes off the ice, his body language shows you that he is frustrated with what went on during the shift. Uh, I, I guess that is something that probably could be corrected, because sometimes it's taken the wrong way, your body language, but uh, I don't think he's tired when he's going off the ice. I think it's more frustration or just all right. I'm that's, going off. Or
3: that's just how he trains himself. Yeah. Okay.
5: I'll, I'll go out next shift when I get out there.
3: Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I I understand the I, I understand the question. Yep. Sometimes you see the frustration in his game. Mm. I mean, it's it's one thing. Maybe he might look frustrated the last two strides going to the bench. But when the frustration is in Leon's game, and I don't and I don't think it was there tonight. Nope. It's it's hope passes. It's low percentage passes. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know not creating offense and, get, and getting a, a little down like that. But I, I still thought that line had a pretty good game.
5: I, I thought Leon was good tonight. And you and I just talked about it off air. Leon was plus tonight. And it's been a long time since Leon's had a plus right. game. So we'll think that is a positive. His line played well. Leon played well. He got a plus in the plus minus. Hopefully that's something to build off because
0: th- if this team... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal.
5: They need the Leon that they saw in the first 30 games of the season for the remainder of the year, because he was that important to this team.
3: All zero four nine six zero is the number to both call and text. You'll also hear from Ryan Nugent-Hopkins and Riley Shane, who scored the two Oilers' goals tonight. But they lose in overtime, 3-2 to the Sabres. Overtime open line, presented by Heartland Ford.
1: Live, Oilers Hockey is brought to you by World of Spas. This is the Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Here's Reid Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chat
3: Jack Eichel on a penalty shot, a minute nine into overtime. Sabres come back from 2-0 down to beat the Edmonton Oilers 3-2. Nobody in the game tonight had more than one point. Oscar Kleffbaum plays 27-16 for the Oilers. Nurse played 24-41. Ristolainen played 22:57 for the Sabers. Eichel played 23:56. That was his only shot on goal, by the way. He had five others that were blocked. He went 2 for 19 in the faceoff <laughs>
5: circle. 11% in the faceoff That's draw. That's crazy. There's one reason why you had Curtis Lazaro taking the draw in overtime cuz they did not want Eichel anywhere near that faceoff dot.
3: Yeah, Lazaro went 6 for 8 tonight. Oilers lose tough one tonight. They're 21-17 and 5 on the season, just 5-10 and 2 in their last 17 games have not won back-to-back games since November 23rd and 24th. That is a long time. Tony's online too. Go ahead, Tony.
2: Well happy new years to you guys. Uh, Didn't get to call in on
3: the
2: 31st. I just want to know what's going on with Leon because as you guys said in a couple games ago he's gone from being like what was it plus 8, plus 6 to being what like minus 18, 17 like that. I just want to know what's going on from you know how he was to now like is it the fact that people are catching up on his game or is it just maybe his confidence has gone down since you know,
3: he's not scoring as much. Like, what could it be? Yeah, probably a bit of both those well, things. I think it's a lot.
5: I think the big thing is the others aren't scoring five on five goals. Uh, early in the year, uh, when he was on the ice, they scored five on five goals that got him pluses. This last, well, I mean, there there's a game he was minus four that none of the goals he had anything to do with. Uh, and there's been a few games like that where he's had nothing to do with him. He gets the minuses, but they don't get the goals four anymore five-on-five that allows them to cover up the bad ones going against. Tonight's the first time he's had a plus game in a long, long time. I don't think he's played as well as he did early in the season. I think fatigue in the month of December was noticeable in both him and Connor because of the uh, fact they had to overplay the two of them for so many games early in the season. Uh, And Dave Tippett talked about the fact that sometimes star players, when things aren't going right, try to do too much. And that creates turnovers. And I think we saw that a lot. when, when Leo, You can tell when Leon's struggling or frustrated, and Reid just alluded to this, is when he starts forcing plays. And forcing plays usually turns into bad things. And I think we saw that for a stretch. I thought tonight, the last two games, I thought Leon has been better. Uh, Hopefully that's uh, carrying forward. He's going to get lots of rest in the month of January. Hopefully it sets up for a good finish for Leon Dreisaitl.
3: All right, here's what's going on around the NHL. The scoreboard for Edmonton Trailer. If you're looking for parts, service, rentals, or new and used semi-trailers, head to edmontontrailer.com. The Flames and... Rangers, it's now 4-3 Flames late in the second period. Early in the third, Toronto, or pardon me, late in the third. Late in the third, Toronto up 6-3 on the Jets. Coyotes trail the Ducks 2-1 in the second period. After one, it's 1-0 Avalanche leading the Blues. First period, Vancouver up 1-0 on Chicago. And also in the first, Vegas with a 2-1 lead on the Philadelphia Flyers. Columbus beat Boston 2-1 in overtime. The Lightning over the Canadians 2-1. The Devils over the Islanders 2-1. The Sharks beat the Penguins 3-2 in overtime. Burns got the winner. Panthers double up on the Senators 6-3. You'll hear from Riley Shane and the Nuge. We got Rocket Chris Clayton. Oh, I think, is this a caller from Mexico we have? And a caller from Mexico as well. All ahead on the open line, courtesy Heartland 4.
1: Oilers Hockey is brought to you by World of Spas. This is the Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Here's Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630
4: chair.
3: Chris Russell has control of the puck for Edmonton. And a turnover. Victor Olofsson has a breakaway. In on
7: Smith. Shoots to the glove. Save made by Mike
3: Smith. Big save there by Smith late in the second period. Chris Russell gave it away. Olofsson goes in. Smith makes the stop. Smith very good tonight for the Oilers. But Edmonton falls 3-2 in overtime. To the Buffalo Sabres, Reed Wilkins, along with a man who played most of his NHL career with the Pittsburgh Penguins, the one and only Rob Brown. You can get us at 780-496-0063. That is to call and to text. And Jason writes in. He says, hey guys, Jones... Bear and Lagasin have all come up from the p- farm. I would say two out of those three on defense have done well. Yamamoto has come up from the farm and done well. Why not call up Tyler Benson? Certainly he can create more offense than Haas, Chaseon, Patrick Russell, etc. Um, I wonder if that will happen at some
5: point. Uh, I, I imagine, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I thought that Benson would get games. I didn't know when, but I thought he would get games. Uh, he didn't have a great preseason, but... Uh, from everything you've heard, he's played well in the minors. I, I, I don't know when. I mean, t- to call him up, you have to move some bodies. That's the thing. You can't just call a guy up because you can only have so many guys up.
3: Well, you know. they waived Basically, they waved Granlund. Yeah. Who, I mean, there was a pretty low percentage chance he would get claimed, and I don't think it would have hurt the Oilers if he Feelings, did. if he if he did.
5: But to to get to call up Benson now, you'd have to wave. You'd have to move someone. Do you would you not?
3: Well, you could send Patrick Russell down. Yeah, that's what like, I mean. Maybe you'd maybe have to move a body. Them. I don't know. Yeah. yeah
5: so I, uh, I still think Benson will get a shot. I I can't tell you how well he's doing because I don't watch the he's minor 25 league.
3: Twenty-five points in thirty games. Yammo yeah, had sixteen and twenty-three in the minors. So, so, they're, so they're similar. Doing, they're doing okay.
5: Um, yeah, I I honestly I don't know. I, I think he'll get a shot at some point this year. I don't know when it will be, but I can't tell you how good he would be if he came up here, simply because I have not seen him play since September when he played preseason.
3: Yamamoto's done, done fine, though, yep. I think. I, I, I think he's, he's been very good. He's competed hard for pucks. He's created. He's more
5: mature, and he's talked about he's, he's more of a professional now, understanding what he can and can't do, both on and off the ice, in the, in the weight room, uh, rest. All, I mean, all those things are things that you learn as a pro, and he really credited Brad Malone, who we've seen a number of times up here on call-ups, as really helping him telling him, you know, this is what you need to do. Here's where you got to be. Uh, and it helps his focus on the game. Uh, he added spark. I don't know if he's ever going to be what people hoped that he was going to be when he came out of junior. They saw big numbers in junior, this, you know, first-round draft pick. Is this kid going to be a 35-goal scorer? Is he going to be a point-getter? I'm not sure, but he, what we've seen in the, the two games that he's been here, and it's limited, but he's a kid that makes smart plays. He's a kid that will earn the trust of the coaching staff because he's in the right position. He understands what he should and shouldn't do with the puck. Always seems to be on the right side defensively and has got uh, a good head for the game to understand uh, where he should be in certain situations offensively. And you have to understand the game if you're going to play with someone like Leon, because Leon thinks it at a different level than other players. So there's players on this team that can't play with Leon just because they can't think it as good. But Yamo can Or they're
3: not fast enough To get to those spots Or not fast and enough Yamamoto showed some quickness at least.
5: Not fast enough with their feet Or their brains Right Because a lot of the times I mean a Josh Archibald For example He's got the speed Nygaard have the speed But can they think the game As fast as Leon can Yeah Because if you all of a sudden Oh darn I'm supposed to be over there It's too late Yeah Yamamoto knows where he's supposed to be So it's only been two games He's, he's impressed in the two games he's played. And because of what he's done in his first two games, I have him playing with Leon and Nuge against Boston. I think that's what you do until you establish yourself. Every time you step on the ice, whether it's a shift or a game, you prove that you belong and get one more shift or one more game.
3: Well, and you said what the Oilers need him to be. I think they need him to be secondary scoring. You mm-hmm. have two players. Here's how I look at it in the NHL. The primary scorers get points almost every game. Yep. James Neal is the perfect definition of a secondary score. Even in the years he's got 30, 35 goals, because even in those, like I, when he came here, I looked at his game logs and I'm like, oh my God, like he had stretches, he would go 10, 12 games without a goal. Oh, then he got eight in his next 11. Mm-hmm. And he's been like that here. So that to me that's the definition of a secondary score. A guy who okay, Neil might have a five game burst, then he's quiet. Well then Cassian has a five game burst, well then he's quiet. Then Yamo has this s five game burst. That's what the Oilers need more of. Those guys on the second and third lines that can get hot for a while go away but there's other guys to fill the void and, and
5: neil's a secondary scorer because whenever he has even the years that he's had good years he wasn't the team's best player offensively no. he never was but no. he but he puts the puck in the net when he's given the opportunity uh and that's cassian is a great example of what they need yamamoto to be cassian is on the first line but he's a secondary scorer he's not there uh as the primary guy to put the puck in the net he's there to keep plays alive He's there to get in on the forecheck, he's there to make the right plays, get it in the hands of the right people, uh, and create, for him, it's create chaos with his physicality. Yamamoto's not going to do that, but he's a guy that keeps plays alive. His forecheck, Cassian used physicality to forecheck, yeah. Yamamoto uses his stick, stealing pucks, lifting sticks, getting in the way, being quick, darting. So whenever goals are scored when he's on the ice, he may not benefit with a point but something that he has done has created that opportunity, and that's what they need on the second line.
3: All right, we have Nez calling in. Nez, are you calling in from Mexico? Yes, I'm calling in from Ensenada,
4: Mexico. Edmontonian, uh, back to the uh, Oilers' uh, WHA days, and I have a couple comments to make. Sure. Oilers go out and make uh, Jim Holland the highest-paid GM in the NHL. And I compare that with uh, the young kid at the GM in in Arizona, and my question is, which which of the two have improved their team most over the last year? And it's obvious that it's Arizona. But the,
5: the problem and is the the problem with that is
4: there, any, is there is there anybody in the Oilers organization who recognizes talent? They had a chance to bring Taylor Hall back. Hall
3: they I understand what you're saying they didn't have a realistic chance to bring Taylor Hall back there's there's no really? there's no cap room they
5: don't have they, they, and this goes back to the Holland thing Holland can only do so much improving this team they've got no money to spend the GM that was here before tapped them out so when when Ken Holland well, went out this sure
4: Che put him in a hole obviously
5: yeah he put him sure. in a big hole so now Ken Holland when he goes out he can't go get a Taylor Hall he's got to get a Josh Archibald he can't go get a Anzi Kopitar, whatever you want. He's got to get a Riley in. because that's the only money they have to spend.
3: Yeah, I understand what well, you're saying. Unfortunate it it's- and it's- and
4: I, think that, I think the goalie trade, I think bringing Mike Smith in was a big mistake. He's past his prime. Uh, I mean, Mike Smith for Cam Talbot is, to me, like trading horseshit for manure.
3: Okay. Sorry. Yeah, you can't say that, Ness. And by the way... John Chayka's first year as uh, GM of the Arizona Coyotes, the team had 78 points before he got there. They had 70 his first year there, so they went actually, so they actually down. He actually went down his, his his first year there. But
4: but how was he done? How was he done? Right, year but, you're
3: year? but you're comparing year one of a guy to year three. And, and not all of Holland's moves have worked out, absolutely, but I don't think it's an apples-for-apples apples comparison. So
5: you for to look at Holland, you got to wait two more years to be able to compare him to the Arizona GM if you're going to compare over the, uh, the same other, amount the of time. Other,
4: the, other, the other comment I'd make is how long do you expect that McDavid and Dreisaitl will, will spend the prime of their careers with a team that's losing? I don't know. How long? I mean, I think that's a big question. Well, how long? I mean, uh, they're obviously being paid a lot of money, but they want to win.
3: Well, how long do you think it'll be?
4: Oh, I don't know. I'm asking you. What What do you think? You're, I don't know. You're, you're,
3: the, McDavid's been asked about it. He says that he's he's, he's, he's part he, of he's that part that of the solution
5: that he's here. He he's, he has no thought of going anywhere else. And that's I mean, you only ask him so many times, but
4: but but don't but but Most of them need to see the team improving each year. Otherwise, uh, why why waste? I mean I mean they could end up being like uh Philip Rivers of the San Diego Chargers, the best quarterback that's ever won
3: anything. Well, that's a whole other debate. <laughs> but, I mean anyway, I, I don't know. I mean look, they had, they haven't put a good enough team around the stars. It's the same thing, Taylor's Hall's Taylor Hall was twice in the top ten in scoring on awful teams. So I mean I don't know how long like how long does Jack Eichel stay in Buffalo? I mean they're worse than the Oilers.
4: Well, yeah, but they, but they beat the Oilers and and, and you know, what happened to the Oilers team that that played the first twelve or fifteen games really well. What happened? Well, it's what fun. do you th- what
3: do you think happened?
4: I don't know. I, I don't watch all. I'm not uh, able they, to watch all the games. Well, the goaltending I, I just, hasn't just, been <laughs> as
3: the goaltending hasn't been as good. Teams know that McD- right. you stop McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh you stop them. The penalty killing wasn't as good. They're, yeah, in December.
5: I think the expectations were too high when you after the first ten games well, the of the Oilers, season. The
3: Oilers
4: have the n- number one power play in the NHL, right? Th- they do, Absolutely. but
5: they're not very good five on five. And unfortunately for the Oilers, most of the game is played five well, on five. Well, I guess
4: the other the other question is the high priced GM hires a coach who's never won anything. Oh, okay. The, the, okay. The, the, well. co- the coach. The,
5: the coach is a good coach. The, 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 well, the
4: coach I'm sure, is a good I'm sure coach. Sure he is, but he he's never won anything.
5: Well, well, they the actually well the last coach they had had won a Stanley Cup and the Olympic gold medals, and, and it failed miserably here for for Hitch.
4: Yeah, so I mean, I guess I I feel sorry for the fans of Edmonton who pay a lot of money and each year expect uh, results and improvement, and each year seems to be a disappointment.
3: Well, they actually have improved over last year to this point.
4: Uh, I I didn't I didn't check that. I, I, is that is that correct? how much? Well, how they're, much?
5: they're in a playoff spot uh, right is, now. That, I, is, I, that is correct. At the beginning of the season, Reed and I, looking at their roster, thought that they would be within striking distance of being a playoff team. And right now, they are actually they are in a playoff spot.
3: They are. But don't
4: you think they don't you think they need to make a move before to to solidify a playoff spot? They need to bring. Well,
3: maybe. Yeah, but, they yeah. do. The problem. But I mean, like Nez, like you're just. The problem okay, is the if Oilers Holland have makes a trade in 2 weeks then I mean we can't predict what he's going to do. And then the problem is the Oilers, so Oilers they don't they have, have a, a lot of are space. they, are they, are, they up,
4: are they up against the salary cap. Yeah, yes. right, they, they're right against it.
3: Out. Out. They've got no money
5: to spend. That's the problem that the Oilers have. So they couldn't they couldn't get Taylor Hall. They can't make a big really? splashy trade right now because they can't afford to pay that player for the next 4 months. If a, right. if a deal is going to be made, it'll be made at the deadline because that'll be the least amount of money. Worth the draft, or or the draft, But if they're doing one for this year, so if they're going so to make a trade to make them better.
4: This, so this year is kind of a toss-up, and maybe we got to look forward to a better near next year. Then. Well, th- well th- th- they're I mean,
5: still know. a play. They're still in the playoff run rush right now. I mean, they're. I think what were they? Three points out of leading the division right now, or two points out? I think maybe after the the point tonight. So it, it, as bad as it has been over the last little while, they're still only two points out of being in first place in their division.
4: Correct, correct. But but at one point they were they were in first place overall. Yeah, the but league.
5: but th- that's oh, sure. the that's the aberration. Yeah. That's that's. So the, was Buffalo. So, but I, people got to forget the seven and one start that the others had. They weren't that good. They were not a seven and one team. Uh, yeah, they
3: were.
4: Uh, you're right. You're right. They were over overrated. But now they got this road
3: trip
4: going on here, which is
5: crucial. It is. Yeah, sure. But actually, the rest of the season, they're they're going to have home stands that are going to become crucial. Like
3: what should happen, Nez? I I just I, I I mean, you're giving us all this, but like, what what should happen? Like, do you want Ken Holland to be fired? Do you want Dave Tippett to be fired? Like what? What should happen? Like, let's not no, look back. I, what, I what should I happen? I don't think
4: so. I, I think there's been so many changes. I mean, I I would be I would be one of the people that, you know, looking back would say that firing Ralph Krueger might have been the biggest mistake they ever made. But that's history. Sure. So you got moving moving forward. Let's let's see some. Let's see some action. Is there nobody in Bakersfield that can
3: come up and help them? Well, there's got... four guys on the active roster who've been called up from Bakersfield this season.
4: Right.
5: Yeah. Actually, more if you want to call Sam Gagne. He was down in the minors. He was down for yeah. so They've got six guys.
4: Sam Gagne is uh, excess baggage, in my opinion, right now. Well,
3: well he was a scratch he's, tonight. He's passed.
4: He's passed his best before date. Well, it's, okay. it's
3: probably true, but the Oilers
5: do have four young kids that started the season in the minors or played in the minors and were supposed to be in the minors that are playing for them right now. So,
3: Nez, we appreciate you calling from another country. We gave you a lot of time. Happy New Year. See you around. Well,
4: I, pre- I appreciate it, and Happy New Year to you guys, and uh, go
3: Oilers, go. All right, Oilers lose 3-2 to Buffalo. I should have asked where he was because
5: my mom's in Mexico right now. Maybe they can meet at a bar and have a drink and talk about Oilers. We
3: have Rocket on line five. Go ahead, Rocket. Happy New Year, boys. Same to you. Uh, so
6: you know, I was I was watching the game tonight, and and Rob, I heard you talking about uh, you know zone time and and you know not enough of it. I watched like five times James Neal fly by a guy when he is like two feet away. The, guy, the defensive guy still has the puck on his stick and he's not hitting them and then of course right when I counted to five and you know kind of late in the third period he lays a guy out and does exactly what he should have done in the first two periods and you know hitting people maybe I'm too old school but when you hit somebody the next time you come around that guy's going to know okay this guy's coming he's not going to do a flyby he's going to hit me i'm going to have to you know maybe it makes him move the puck a little quicker than he wants to and you apply that extra pressure and I, I just don't see enough of that and and also darnell nurse tonight sorry darnell but tonight you were a tire fire um but i just wanted your comments on that and and, and how you you know achieve that zone time that uh
3: we seem to be lacking five on five. All
5: right. Thanks, Rocket. Uh, you're right. When when you're retrieving a puck or, or taking a puck and you get hit or rubbed out, the next time the puck comes to you, you're a little more apprehensive. Uh, you're probably a little quicker moving the puck. You don't take that extra second and make a play because there's the fear that you're going to be hit. Uh, and, again, just finishing it. You don't always have to run a guy over. Just finish the check because if you just pin him for a second, which you're allowed to do, that means he's not jumping in the play. When you do a flyby, all of a sudden if the puck turns the wrong way, you've lost your check. And, and you're right, defensively, when the Oilers get themselves into trouble is when they cheat or anticipate or flyby or hope that the puck is going to turn into an offensive chance. When the Oilers are at their best is when they're stopping on pucks, they're staying in the defensive side, uh, they're making Making sure pucks get in and out, the, just the little things, details. And I know that they talked about that on the TV tonight, how when the Oilers are playing well, they're, they're very good detail-oriented. The Oilers, through the last 40 minutes tonight, weren't as detail-oriented, and the Buffalo Sabres got better at that as the game went on.
3: All right, 3-2 Sabres win in overtime. We'll get to Chris and John when we get back. Overtime open line, courtesy Heartland Ford.
1: Live, Oilers Hockey is brought to you by World of Spas. This is the Heartland Ford Overtime Open Line. Here's Reid Wilkins on Oilers Radio,
3: 630 Chair. Jack Eichel wins it on a penalty shot in overtime. Sabres over the Oilers, 3-2. Lazar and Reinhardt also scored for Buffalo, Shane, and Nugent Hopkins. For the Oilers, we have Chris on the line. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, guys. Uh,
0: Thanks for taking my call. Happy New Year.
3: Thank you. Happy New Year. Um, Just a couple
0: comments, uh, just uh, two points I wanted to make. Uh, The first one, an article that I I read uh, uh, by a sports journalist uh, about three weeks ago, um, said the Oilers were overachievers in the beginning, and they're kind of playing like the team they should be playing in, like, and, uh, and being that uh, they are, according to this particular journalist, just an average team, and went on to make comments like, you can't fight fate, those kind of comments. You know, I understand that these kind of articles have to be thought-provoking and emotionally driven articles and uh... but you know uh, you got fans out there that don't really need to you know read that kind of stuff but um, just to make uh, uh, just uh, one last point on, on this particular uh, uh, subject matter, that, uh, I, I actually do believe the Oilers uh, were a seven and one uh, team. I think chemistry as a whole, uh, they they really blended well, they clicked well, um, and uh, which kind of led me to it leads me to my second comment. But I wanted to just get your take on uh, whether you thought that uh, sports journalist was uh, uh, was correct by saying they were overachievers in the beginning.
3: Well, they they, they were. Here's how I put it they they were a 7-1 team because they won those games. There were reasons they won those games, goaltending, special teams, star players, but we always knew they weren't going to keep it up. It was to mm-hmm. what extent they were going to drop off. I'm not sure which article you're referring to, but what's your second point?
0: So the second point is, uh, uh, you know, when the Oilers were uh, doing really well, in fact, I, I mean, just to uh, uh, full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a huge Oilers fan, um, but... Um, uh when the oilers were doing well. Um, I have to tell you it was a little disheartening to see uh, an interview Dave Tippett came uh day, uh, day, uh, Tip it, uh gave, rather, um uh and it was uh I mean, if I, could, if I could really choose the adjectives uh, for that article, uh, for that interview, was kind of emotionally debilitating. It was demoralizing. It was pretty negative. They were Oilers were flying hell, uh, high, uh, win, uh, winning a string of games. Um, uh, Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid were just scoring uh, to no end. Um, and he was just incredibly negative during do,
5: that
3: do you interview. After, do you remember which game it was after?
0: Oh, man. Was it after
5: a Philadelphia Flyer game?
0: I, I think so, and then I, I mean, I, I, again, as objectively as I can possibly be, if memory serves me correctly. It just seems like that's when the order started. The order started sliding after that. After that interview he gave, and 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 and, and to that point, and again, this is just conjecture, but you can uh, give me your, your 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 opinion on this. Uh, it just seems like to me, and maybe to a lot of oiler fans out there. It, uh, there could possibly very well be some sort of a disconnect between Dave Tippett and uh, and the leadership of uh, of of, uh, of the Oilers. Uh, more specifically, maybe Mc, uh, 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 McDavid or or Dreisaitl. Um, but um, just to just closing that point, uh, I, I think that um, uh, that 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 might that might actually uh uh go to uh, uh a little inconsistency in his coaching methods uh, even even a comment he made tonight when a journalist was interview, interviewing him tonight said well you gave up you gave up the six goal lead and then he said well we won the game didn't we so yeah that that's a more positive comment but it just seems like I, i'm just a little confused as to what his coaching style is so maybe you can help me out with that
3: all right
5: I'm, I, I think Tippett is a good coach. I think that from every from the players that I've talked to and, and being around, they they like him. There's no disconnect. Uh, the star players are both having career years, so I don't know if it's affecting the star players at all. I think where they are in the standing is simply because of the team that is they have. This is this is their their team that I would expect to be. Uh, fighting for a playoff spot the remainder of the season. So I, I'm, I'm not surprised at all at where they are right now. It's just they got here a different way.
3: All right, got to run. Thanks to everybody who called tonight. Oilers lose 3-2 to Buffalo in overtime. Get more on 630 chetcom globalnews.ca. Next broadcast is Saturday morning, 9.30 a.m., face-off show. The puck will drop at 11 as the Oilers take on the Boston Bruins. Oilers now from noon to two tomorrow. All have Inside Sports from six to eight. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. Oilers hockey presented by World of Spas. On behalf of Rob Brown, I'm Reed Wilkins. You've been listening to Overtime Open Line presented by Heartland Ford. Sabers take it three-two in overtime.
1: Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.